Hey, All People's Church. Welcome to What We Couldn't Say on Sunday. I've got Pastor Ross here. Hello, guys. And we're going to cover some exciting things today. Um, Ross preached a banger on on Sunday uh, called You Don't Have to Sin Anymore. Um, I know that many of you were served well. I had a good conversation to some of you about that, and I really was helped by it, Ross. Thank you for that that message. Thank you, brother. Yeah, and today, um, Ross wants to unpack uh, a little bit more of the text that he didn't get to cover, mm-hmm. um, the, the birth of John the Baptist. And he also wants to ask an important question. Is it possible for a Christian to never sin? There are some who believe that, and so I'm excited to hear what you have to say. What did you say this week uh, on Sunday? Sure. This was um, kind of a part two sermon for me for this text because I preached it last year in December. Uh, it was a sermon right before Christmas um, talking about how Jesus had come to free us from the penalty of sin. Mm. And that is a central part of this text. John the Baptist's whole mission is appointed to Jesus as the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's right. Um, Zechariah says it in this prophecy, and so I reminded us of Jesus' central work of sin removal. But I also wanted to point out another aspect of this text, that his work doesn't stop at sin removal. It proceeds also to give us power to defeat sin's control over our life, to set us free from sin. One thing that happens when you meet Jesus is you're back in control of you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to sin anymore. Romans 8 says... The, fle- the mind that is on the flesh is hostile to God's law. Mm-hmm. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those yeah. who are in the flesh cannot please God. Right. But this is, but you are not in the flesh. Right. <laughs> yes. So that the logic would be, you are no longer in a position where you cannot please God, mm-hmm. where you cannot help, but sin anymore. You you yeah. can you can say no. You you are, by the power of the Spirit, able to put to death the deeds of the body, as That's Romans right. eight goes on to say. This is, and this isn't something that's incidental to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This isn't something that you have to do in addition to the gospel. Right. This is a reward of the gospel. Yes. This is your birthright as a Christian. This is your inheritance as a Christian to yes. be able to say no to sin and to live in new levels of holiness. And I just wanted us to regain an excitement for the Christian life. Yeah. We're, we're, we're oftentimes so cautious to talk about holiness because we're scared it will fall into the ditch of works righteousness. Mm -hmm. And I don't want us to go there, but let us not lose this whole dimension of the Christian life because we're we're afraid of being works righteousness people. Right. I started off with the the gospel that Jesus canceled the penalty of sin Mm -hmm. so that I could talk about his power to, to, to give us abilities to obey without falling into that ditch. Yeah. You do not have to choose between preaching works righteousness Mm -hmm. or holiness. Mm -hmm. You can preach that we can be holy in Jesus Christ and not preach works righteousness. Um, And and I think even in this text itself, earlier in Luke, it calls Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth holy people. Mm -hmm. Like they they were righteous people. Mm -hmm. And I think the reference is indicating that these are people who fundamentally obeyed God's commandments. Right. Like the, they, they are living the kind of life this text is referring to. Um, the, the verse that I, that I really pointed to from the text that really illuminated this doctrine is um, we see this in verse 74, that, that we being delivered from the hands of our enemies. And I take that to include our sinful nature, mm-hmm. temptation, our old hearts. We're, we're delivered from that now mm-hmm. that we might serve him without fear. And then verse 75 further unpacks what it means to serve him without fear, that in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, listeners, if you're in Jesus, you can live a holy life. Yeah. You, you don't have to live in patterns of sin anymore. That's right. and, that's, <laughs> and that's something Jesus died to give you. Like, let's, let's embrace that. <laughs> let's, yes. not, let's not treat that as a second, an issue of second importance. Um, right. So that that was mostly the, the main thrust of the sermon. Yeah. That was the main push. Um, yeah, do you have something to say? Yeah, I was reminded of uh, Ephesians as you're talking about. I mean, even um, back to the uh, the conversation of election, Paul Paul talks about why he chose us before the foundation of the world uh, in, in chapter 1 of, of, of Ephesians. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Mm. That is the uh, primary purpose that's given for Mm -hmm. God's saving us in Jesus, that Mm -hmm. we would be set free from the power of sin to live holy lives. So there really is no place in the Bible, there's no room for an idea that you're you're saved to, to keep living the way that you've lived before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I just uh, I appreciate that that message, and and I think that it is one that is vital to be to be preached often. That with the forgiveness of sins, we also have power over mm. sin. That's right. So I, I'm I'm grateful. I think also I thought um, sometimes I I get scared when I read passages like Mary was, you know, to read about people's holiness before the Lord. I'll read about David saying, you know, according to my righteousness, you've heard me. Mm. You know, and I have these questions like, wait, 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 we know like nobody is righteous before God ultimately. So what exactly is going on there? But, but I think that we, we, uh, we do all agree that every single one of them needed a savior. And I think they would all say the same thing that they needed the blood sacrifice of animals, all pointing to Jesus but what it should remind us of is what you just said, that, that these people understood that serving God meant holiness and meant yes. looking like God. It meant keeping his commands, that being in covenant with him was was one that re- resulted in uh, a response of obedience to, right. to him. Yeah, we don't want to fall into the false dichotomy of either my works save me yeah. or they don't matter. Right. There's a middle way of my works do not save me. Mm-hmm but they flow from the fact that God has saved me. That's right. And just want us to just get, get the notion out of our mind that obedience is boring because obedience is becoming like Jesus and there's nothing more exciting than <laughs> someone becoming like Jesus like they were originally meant to be. That's right. And um, I had another thought, but it's totally escaped me. So, Well, can I, I'll just add to that. I, I, we were praying this morning and I prayed from, from chapter 45, Psalm chapter 45, which is a messianic psalm. And it's talking about, uh, he he has he has been anointed with the oil of gladness beyond your companions, mm-hmm. um, and what is it? It says that the reason that he has this oil of gladness, the reason he's such a happy king, is because he has loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 opening lines of this this uh, chapter are that this this messianic figure is. The most handsome of the sons of men, <laughs> like that he is the the fairest of them all, you know. And so I just am affirming what you're saying. Like the, this is like what what gets you happiness? It's freedom from sin. It's looking like God intended you to look. It's yes. <laughs> that's our Jesus. I, I said it on Sunday. And I don't know if everybody understood exactly what I was saying, but our Jesus is the happiest man that ever lived mm. because he, you know, though he was called a man of sorrows. He knew exactly who he was, right. and he knew he had this perfect uh, rest in the Father, <laughs> and, yes. and so he was anointed with this oil of gladness. And I think the, the maybe the f- full um, fulfillment of that is is when he is is face to face with the Father as as a man, having accomplished all that he has has, has was sent to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, but even still, like he he living a righteous life uh, was what set him apart as as being the the happiest uh, of all. And so that it's not boring to be holy. It's not. I love it. It's not. And, and just even to key off of those verses that you brought up, one other thing I wanted to push into the message was how do we uh, change more to be like, like, how does this happen? How do we live in the power that Jesus gives us to conquer sin? Yeah. And I brought, we, we quote ourselves, listen to and believe the promises of God. Mm. Um, which this, these verses bring up time and time again, his covenant, his promise. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I didn't get to do is push even further into that, like how I think that works, mm-hmm. like why I think that works. Mm-hmm. And the reason I believe that the cross frees us from sin is because it, in giving us a new heart, in freeing us from our sin nature, we get new desires. Yeah, that's right. The reason why the unbeliever can't help but sin is because he loves his sin more than God. Mm-hmm. When you become a believer, you love Jesus more than your sin for the first time. That's yeah. what repenting is. Right. And so your power to conquer sin is God's power to give you new desires that are stronger than your sin. Yes. 
So, so if you're wondering, well, how do I access this power? Yeah. You plead with your father for new desires mm-hmm. to put your sin to death. Yeah. And one reason, way God shapes our hearts is when his word is in our hearts, when mm-hmm. we're quoting promises of ourselves. That's yeah. one way he births these new desires in our hearts. Yes. Um, so, so I would, so the, so the person who hears me and says, I agree with you theologically, but I don't get how this works right. practically day to day. Yeah. I would say pursue uh, pursue new desires mm-hmm. from Jesus by quoting scripture to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like Lord shape in me a heart. Like, like even Psalm 119 is just so yeah. good for oh, this. Right. Yes. Like, like, um, incline my heart, right. Yeah. To your testimony and not to selfish gain. Yeah. So you gotta pray like that yeah. and, and just, and just really try to receive new desires yeah. from God. Mm-hmm. And uh, an unbeliever doesn't have access to getting new desires from God. They right. just have to, wrench themselves into a pretzel to not sin anymore. Right. Where we can actually receive new desires from God to not, to, to have power to say no to our sin. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that sin won't feel alluring anymore and that it won't be difficult and it won't be hard, but that you just have this new sense of, I can say no to this because I really, what I really want is the intimacy with Jesus. Yeah. And, and, and then you grow as you say, no, you grow in being able to say no. Yeah. And, yeah. and, um, yeah. So maybe that's what I would have said differently. Yeah. Cause I would have spent that's more great. time talking about the power of the gospel to sever the roots of sin mm-hmm. comes to us by giving our hearts new desires yeah. that they didn't have before. Yeah. yeah I think of Ephesians six, uh, as you're talking there and, uh, Paul talking about the, the real battle that's, that's going on is it's a spiritual battle. And he, he talks about putting on this armor mm. of God, which almost every piece of the armor is a defensive mm. sort of armor, um, sure. except for the sword, <laughs> the sword, which is the word of God. Um, and, and so I was just talking to a brother about this the other day, that, that the, the defensive is absolutely necessary. You, you, uh, you go on the defense and you, you have, you know, this, this shield of faith and this, this breastplate of righteousness and, and all these, these things that, you know, you resist sin you resist the devil. Uh, but then there's, there's this offensive kind of where you, you take authority over your mind and you, with, with all the, you know, renewing your mind, you're, you're taking up this sword to, to respond and say, no, that is not who I am. I'm a child of God. I live for my father's pleasure, you know? And so I guess, I don't know if that's a helpful distinction. Like there's, there's a defensive for sure as, as a resisting temptation, but that, that has to be paired with, with offensive and that, that comes being able to hack away at these sinful roots with with the the word word of God. Yeah. Yeah. With the sword of the spirit. And I wonder if this is one reason why faith and repentance are so tied together. Yeah. Because faith, and, and as Bethlehem people, we talk like this a lot. Faith is receiving Jesus as a good gift. That's the supreme gift, right? Mm. The best gift. Yes. And then repentance is that actually being lived out. Yeah. Like, since Jesus is better than my sin, yeah. since I've received him as something that's better than my sin, I'm going to live like he's in sanctification and holiness like he's better than my sin. Mm. That's why I think they go in such lockstep together. Yeah. Faith is the act of the heart that receives Jesus as better than mm-hmm. our disobedience. Mm-hmm. And repentance is that being acted out in day-to-day life, mm-hmm. um, which is why I think we find it in this text together. We find it in other places in the Bible paired together. Yeah. And why we can say if there's no repentance, there's no faith. Because yeah. you, you're actually not receiving Jesus as being better than your sin. If you're just continuing to live in your sin, you haven't really right. believed in him in the first place. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I think that those I I often wed those in my preaching together. I think the Bible Jesus weds yeah. them together. Yeah. In Mark one he says hmm. um repent and, and believe in the gospel. Yeah. So Jesus mm-hmm. sees these things together because they're really coming from a transformed heart. Like yeah. they're, they're coming from the same transform right. transformed heart. Yes. Um, yeah. That's good, Ross. It, was there anything else that you wish you would have said differently or or uh touched on more um Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, and I guess this kind of bleeds over into what I didn't say on Sunday is, okay. um, I had to skip verses 57 through 66. Yeah. Um, I didn't have to, I chose to. Yeah. Um, I think they're connected, yeah. but they're also, it's felt like a little bit like two different sermons. Sure. I don't know. I already preached the sermon one for 40 minutes as it was just, yeah. you know, um, 
Sure. And and yeah, we're working on selecting our texts and and how our philosophy of how big or small they should be. And um, yeah. as a result, I, I couldn't really touch on this text much. Yeah. You know, would you give a quick uh, word to our people, maybe why we're we would choose to preach a text like that to take. You know, you found you found a point that you thought needed to be preached from this text, and yeah. you that that disabled you from touching every verse. Would you maybe give a little bit of your philosophy behind that, or maybe even what we do as a as a preaching team? Yeah, what we're trying to do is single point preaching. Yeah, and the reason for that is is that just even the the act of heralding, just even the act of preaching, seems to be this decisive declaration. Mm-hmm. Um, that this is true. And and that most effectively happens with a single sword stroke mm. rather than a bunch of little pokes. Yeah, that's like, like, the, like a single force of truth coming at you mm. which wounds and mends your heart. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and with that, you, you shape a sermon where every part of the sermon is upholding that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, that's just one philosophy of preaching. It's not the only philosophy of preaching, yeah. but um, but but when this is the philosophy of teaching, the goal is more transformation than information. Mm-hmm. The 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 main the one of the biggest benefits of having a message that's a single sword stroke addressing the heart mm-hmm. is that you address the emotions, you yeah. address feeling, you address. This one issue in the chance in the in the hope of changing and in God using this to change your people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's just harder to do when you comment on this and this and this and this. Right. It just it, it seems to be more informational at that point. Yeah. Because um, one truth comes at you um, and and disarms you and changes you. It seems to do that most effectively when it comes to you as one decisive. Mm-hmm message yeah. one decisive uh, um, a truth yeah uh, and that's just the way the gospel seems to work like right. it's just so simple it's so focused right. it's it's believe in Jesus and right. boom that's the message and and we're kind of trying to mimic that that yeah. oneness of focus how does that connect to I know this is a little bit of a tangent but I, th- I think it's helpful because we're, we're actually we're struggling a little bit with it uh, as we teach narratives here there's a, there's a ton of uh, things that you can focus on but how does that relate to maybe the main point of the text or how do we how would you say that we're still or can you say we're still preaching exegetically while also aiming to preach one point from from a text yeah how do those overlap yeah because i mean exegetical preaching is trying to make the main point of the text the main point of the sermon yes um which um because because a sermon Here's the, the sermon is not a commentary. Yeah. If you read a commentary, it will illuminate every verse. Yeah, it's edifying. It's helpful. And it's edifying. Yeah. It's helpful. And yeah. we read commentaries to get ready for our sermon. Yeah. But um. But yeah. So if if you're preaching an exegetical message, you want to make sure that the point that you land on comes from the text. Yes. Um. So if I failed to persuade you that my point came from the text, it was not an exegetical sermon. Mm-hmm. Which uh to be honest, has been a critique of my preaching. <laughs> Is that, Ross, you didn't spend enough time in the text. I thought I made the case on Sunday that that verse, um, verse 74 is very clear that this, that, that, that our visit and redemption from Jesus, its purpose was, or one major central purpose of it was that we would serve him in holiness and righteous yeah. all of our days. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that when I'm analyzing the logic of the text, when I'm reading through it, that mm-hmm. seems to be a purpose. Like you even see that it begins with the word that in yeah. verse 74. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so I am um, trying, yeah, we, so we want to be in the text, but also um, pick a point or the point in the text and yeah. really try to, um, double and triple down on making that point at the point of the sermon. So it yeah. gets through to our hearts. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, I'd say one other thing we're, we're aiming to do, um, with, with a, a gospel like Luke, you're going to find repeated themes in lots of different 
text, mm-hmm. you know. So we're trying to find the um, the most important theme to to really press into the most important point, perhaps. I mean, if 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 something is is going to be repeated in the next sermon, uh, we we just don't want to have like crazy overlap all the time, right. you know. So we want to make sure that we're we're preaching sermons that. Um, yeah, that are from the text, but also that are um, covering the the big themes that that Luke is trying to portray, mm-hmm. and that can be tough because we have a limited amount of time. And and uh, yeah, I think this is a curveball. If I, we didn't, Ross didn't prepare for that, but I th- I think that's a helpful thing as we're getting into a a book that that has so much content and so much that we could do. And I I think we, we could turn the the Luke series into a one to two year uh, sermon series easy. Mm-hmm easy but yeah there's probably uh, 10 sermons you could find in this text oh easily um and and maybe the big thing as a listener is like, like in the Bere- the bereans in acts 18 when paul came to them it says they search the scriptures yeah, daily to good. see if these things are true that's good so so if if daniel you or me are making a point from the scripture the listener should ask did the person sufficiently show me that this is in the author's mind yeah and you can ask that about my sermon on Sunday if you've listened to it. Mm-hmm. Like, did Ross show me that this came, his main point that we're free from committing sin? Did, did did is that in the author's mind? Are these things connected, or did he just impose that on the text? Um, Paul was proud of the Bereans, and we, we would be very <laughs> proud of you if if that was our our heart, yeah, the heart of our people. That that we were searching the Scripture to see if what we preached is is there and, yeah. and accurate. Uh, and that you're keeping us accountable even. Yeah, and, and you're welcome to, and I would say even expected to come yeah. to us if, if we're not making sufficiently cases that our yeah. points are growing out of the text. That's good. Uh, we want to grow as preachers, and we would be served by that. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so, yeah, yeah, good question, brother. That's great. Yeah. Um, do you want to jump into that, the beginning uh, of the text there, birth of John the Baptist, verses 57 to 66? Maybe unpack that a little bit for us? Sure, sure. So, so in these verses... Um, it says, now came the time for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. So she gave birth to her son that God promised her. Mm-hmm. Now, although Zechariah is described in Luke as righteous, he had a big moral failure. Yeah. Um, and he failed to believe the angel's promise mm-hmm. that his wife would have a son, and, and he was judged with silence. Yeah. Like he couldn't speak any longer. Um, so now, um, at this point, the, uh, Elizabeth is having a son. And Zachariah and her are going to be tested. Would they obey the angel this time? Would they mm. believe the angel this time? Yeah. Um, so this is Zachariah's test, and you'll see that he uh, passes the test before his speech is restored. It's a beautiful um, moment. Yeah, that um, even even when we do fail, God still has plans to make us righteous and holy and give us righteous and holy lives. It, it, kind of, it almost seems to be an image of the text that that he prophesies on, mm. that that he, he shows that even in the midst of failures— um, new successes are always possible and for someone who's trusting in Jesus that, that wow. you're not pigeonholed into disobedience if you fall or if you stumble. That is a, that's a powerful implication of this text. Like that is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Zechariah would not, that wouldn't be the last you hear from Zechariah. Instead, you hear this moment where he he succeeds in trusting the Lord. That's and right. and um, man, I love that, Ross. I'm yeah. encouraged by that. Yeah, amen. And so, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, man, I, I, I screwed up so bad, I'm just going to define myself as a failure now mm-hmm. and not fight anymore. Mm-hmm. That's not Jesus talking. That's yeah. You need to put that to death and really believe that, that there are is hope for you to become a righteous, beautiful image of what Jesus is like. Yeah, amen. Um, so, so now the townspeople come and they... Uh, this is really interesting. I think it speaks a lot to human nature. They don't want them to name the child John, um, which means God is gracious. Hmm. Um, so, so the names mean something back back then. They wanted him to be named Zachariah Jr. Um, they, they <laughs> yeah, and this would be, I, I think this would be really surprising. Like, let's say that your uh, grandfather was named Daniel the first, your dad is Daniel the second, you're Daniel the third, mm-hmm. and your community comes up to you when you and Kate are having your first child and they're like, so is this Daniel the fourth? Mm-hmm. Say, no, his name is Peter Parker Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Like, what, why would you name him that name? Um, and you're like, well, God, God told me to name him that. 
<laughs> like he's going to be a hero. He's going to do great things. I hope um, this is not prophetic. Yeah, we will not be. <laughs> yeah. So, so this, and this makes people uncomfortable. Um, on one, people do have a hunger and thirst for God at one level, and another level they just don't want to think about Him, don't mm. want to talk about Him. Mm. Talking about God makes them uncomfortable. Um, that's why evangelistic conversations are so hard. Um, because yeah. people don't want to reckon with God. Mm-hmm. They don't want, uh, they've constructed this reality where it's okay for them to be their own Lord yeah. and not, and not have to submit to and love God. Mm-hmm. And when God, the conversation of God comes up, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and we can see that there's this squirminess, mm-hmm. um, that all this angel appearing to him, him being silent. They don't like that stuff. Yeah. They just want, uh, reality to unfold as is expected as, mm-hmm. um, business as usual. Don't interfere with me. Don't give me a sense of the divine. Hmm. Don't give me a sense of accountability. Um, wow. So, um, and there's peer pressure for Zachariah to conform, hmm. for Elizabeth to conform. Just do what we want you to do. The community is saying to them, right? Yeah. Just, just, just pretend this thing never happened. Hmm. You might never talk again. It's fine. We'll just, you know, overlook that. Just write on the board the rest of your life. Hmm. He is faithful and writes his name is John. Mm. Um, and it says they all wondered, like, wow. Like, they're starting to get this sense that um, that there's something beyond our human expectations, beyond yeah. um, our human understanding of reality that's happening around us. Um, and then immediately his tongue is loosed, and he <laughs> opens his mouth and starts blessing God. And then the neighbors, a fear falls on them. Mm-hmm. This is our mission as Christians to give people a sense of the holiness, holy God, a sense wow. of the divine. Yeah. Um, they don't have it. The people who are walking around you have suppressed that sense of the divine. That's good. And you have been called to reawaken that in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the promises of the Holy Spirit when he comes is he will convict the world of sin and judgment and righteousness. Yeah. And you're supposed to be his instrument to go and convict people that sin and righteousness and judgment are real. Wow. And um, that's that's part of... If, if I were... If I was to connect that to my sermon, that's part of the power you have. Yeah. Not telling people about Jesus is a sin. Yeah. <laughs> it is. You're a witness. You're called to be a witness. You've been called to make disciples. Yeah. It's a sin I commit. Okay? I'm going to confess it. I don't tell enough people about Jesus. Yeah, me too. And um, and that, that isn't to slap anyone around or make them feel bad. It's just to say that um, that there is grace to be forgiven for that. There mm-hmm. is a chance to repent of that. God has plans to use you to share with other people about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the way that we live and the words that we say mm-hmm. should always be, give people a sense that God is real, the most real thing to us. Yeah. Everything we do portrays how real we think God is to us. That's right. Um, where we live, where we work, how we react to situations, yep. whether or not we join in on the course joking, yeah. whether how we use our money, um, what we talk about, what we laugh about, like this is all, mm. it's all related to, it all portrays how real God is to us. Mm-hmm. And when Zechariah finally acted like God was the most real thing to him, mm. all of his neighbors got a sense of that. Fear mm. fell on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that, I think that's just a mighty calling that we have is to, yeah. to, is to awaken people to the reality of God and, and to help them fear him. Yes. And, um, and if you don't live and talk like you fear him, you won't ever <laughs> help someone else talk like that. Um, I know, I know that. I think that's one reason maybe unbelievers love it when we slip up and sin. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there was this sense of like, man, I'm feeling this conviction. Wow. Like, like, this person's awakening me in sense of God. Oh, they look how they talked there. Look how they treated that person or lied or cheated on their wow. taxes. Like, yeah. Oh, I guess I don't actually have to respond to that mm. message. Mm. Um, cause you, they love it when we're hypocrites. Like they yeah. just love to point that out. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, I just wanted to, uh, just, just celebrate, um, how God took a disobedient failed man and yeah. he used him to, put a sense of the divine yeah. everywhere in his town by yeah. his, by this new obedience he was invited into. Yeah. Um, and then out of that, this prophecy comes. Just think of the, the simple command from the Lord, which says, let the, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Mm, amen. <laughs> that's, 
I don't know. Yeah, Ivan. I, such a simple thing. Let your light shine. We have we have light. We are salt in the world. We're supposed mm-hmm. to, like you're talking about, bring that sense of of awe and wonder at who God is and who this right. what this world is. Um, when we fail to do that, uh, when when we lose our saltiness, it mm-hmm. becomes good for nothing. Like, right. It, your witness is is it, is uh, hindered. When, when, yeah, the, when you're saying, like, there's this hypocritical behavior. Um, mm-hmm. So, man, that I, I really love that that word, Ross. What yeah. else do you have for us? I'm, I'm encouraged by this. Yeah. This good. I, maybe we should have spent a week preaching this fact. I don't know. <laughs> I wish, man. Yeah, because there's so much treasure here. And I, I don't like that I said we skipped through these verses because it sounds yeah. like there isn't. But yeah. as we talk about them here, clearly there's so much treasure here. So maybe yeah. we need to slow down our Luke series. I don't know. Maybe. Um, because it just seemed like so much here yeah. to, to do both parts. That's um, good. The other thing I wanted to say is, um, so the main point, one main point of the sermon was you don't have to sin anymore. Yeah. Like that's just good news. Um, so you might say, so Ross, is it, is it possible for a Christian to live a perfectly holy life of never sinning again? Yeah, I've heard people say that. Yeah, yeah. which you spent a lot of time in more of a Armenian Wesleyan tradition, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that, yep, that is a teaching, right? In, in the, the, the holiness movement, uh, it, this is like the Keswick convention. I mean, those are a lot of big words, but that was very much a doctrine of, of John Wesley, that there's a, um, there's an, a possibility of entire sanctification in this life mm-hmm. that, that somehow, uh, it's kind of like if you're, you may be more familiar with the idea of, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that, that a Pentecostal uh, church will, will discuss. And uh, it's the, the, the second move of God after mm-hmm. salvation that, that brings you to a place of full surrender, complete mm-hmm. surrender, perfection unto God. And this is something I heard as a kid. I don't know if you knew this about me, but uh, yeah, people would pray constantly. Their prayer request would be in front of the whole church. I'm praying for entire sanctification. Wow. I'm praying for entire sanctification. And as a kid, you know, then you'd hear people testify. I thank God that he saved me and that he sanctified me. Mm-hmm. And so there's like this, it's not just like this idea of like, he's continually sanctifying me. It's like, no, I'm sanctified. Right. <laughs> uh, and they mean completely by yeah, that, right? Like yes. I don't sin anymore. Yes. Like I don't sin anymore. And I had no idea what that meant as a kid, okay. but I sometimes would stand up and say almost the identical thing <laughs> in the youth group, youth, uh, uh, camps and things like that. Classic youth Just, group strategy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, man, that's that's a that's true belief. What what would you say to it? How would you yeah. respond to somebody that said, "I haven't sinned"? I've literally had people say this to me. I haven't sinned for 50, 15 years, or some some of it said even longer. I haven't wow. sinned since I got saved back in nineteen forty five. Sure, know? sure, yeah. And um, very briefly, I had never heard this growing up like you had. Mm-hmm. But I did lead a college and Bible study. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> Bible study? Well, I guess my brain is crossfired right now. Um, and there was a guest speaker who came, and this was his message. He said, you can be entirely sanctified and never sin again in your life, and God wants you wow. to have that. Wow. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> and so um, I would just say it's out there. Yeah. Um, it's it's a big part of evangelical tradition. Um that uh, specifically more Armenian and Wesleyan traditions yeah. hold to. Um, and, and yeah, how would you respond to this? Um, they, they'll cite a lot of texts like, God says, be holy as I am holy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the pocket dictionary of theological terms, um, holiness movement says. Um, they'll cite texts like, um, be perfect as your heavenly father's perfect, Matthew five forty eight. Yeah. And, um, I think it's just important to mention from the outset that God's requirement that we be completely holy yep. does not mean that we can be completely holy. Yeah. Um, that's essentially the tension the gospel resolves. Yeah. Is that is that we cannot meet God's perfect demand of perfect holiness, yeah. but Jesus did. Yeah. Um, it's not the poor in spirit. I'm, I'm sorry. It's not the not the perfectly righteous that that jesus says are blessed but the poor in spirit those who recognize their need right before him we could spend more time unpacking that but that's just one thing that comes to mind that that jesus is emphasizing do you know your need for a savior right yeah yeah so i'm not reading those texts as implying that 
sinless perfection as possible in this yeah. life. Yeah. But just that God's holiness is perfect. His demand is perfect. And Jesus' satisfaction is perfect. Right. Um, but yeah, even as you study the New Testament, um, it never outright says either way a believer can reach entire sanctification or can't. Hmm. But just a sense when you read the New Testament uh, is that we will continue to sin in this life. Hmm. Um, so just just like First John 1 says, um, eight, if, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Yeah. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. Which sounds like, man, sin is something that we need to repent from, repent from, confess. Well, then it must be something that we're doing. Um, I think my favorite text, though, on this would be Philippians 3, hmm. um, 12. Uh, Paul says, not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Man, Ross, if Paul didn't have entire <laughs> sanctification, uh, yeah, Paul I think we're all it. in trouble here. <laughs> right. Right. And in verse 11, he says that any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Yeah. So he seems to be saying, I'm not already perfect. That perfection happens when the resurrection of the dead happens. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so the resurrection of the dead, when Christ comes again, when we're with him, in a perfect new heavens and new earth, when he wipes away every tear, yeah. when the former things have passed away, when he has made all things new, is when we'll no longer sin yes. anymore. Yes. It's something we look forward to, not something we enjoy now. Right. Um, so I would, yeah, I really think this Philippians 3 text just seals it for me. Yeah. Philippians 3, 11 mm-hmm. through 16. Um, I'm sure there's more text that could be multiplied mm-hmm. on this. Um but, but this one just seems to be a knockdown punch yeah. for me. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I, I have a question. Um, you know, I, I, a dear friend, a dear, dear family member has has said to me, I really don't like the language of I'm a sinner. Mm-hmm. When a Christian says I'm a sinner saved by grace, you know, or something like that, they, they struggle because they're they think that there's like a justification to walk into sin when you when you kind of identify as a sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and they, they would also say, like, it's possible possible for me to go through a day without without blowing it. What would you say to those? You know, how, how would you respond to, to him? This this dear, yeah. <laughs> dear one uh, that I know, um, I would say that. He could be touching on something right. Yeah. That we do have too low of a view of what's possible for a Christian mm-hmm. and do kind of pigeonhole ourselves as woe is me, I'm a hopeless sinner. Right. I'll never be righteous. Right. But at the same time, we wouldn't want to stop thinking of ourselves as sinners because that's just how the New Testament insists we understand ourselves. Mm-hmm. Paul says, I am the chief of all sinners. Chief. <laughs> yes. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and the point of that is not to make us feel like our sin is inevitable, but to mm-hmm. feel like we have a deep need for a savior each and every day. Right. So um, should I sin so the grace should abound? No. No, stop it. By no means. <laughs> Bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, this is the gospel by which we are being saved. Mm-hmm. A conti- an ongoing understanding of ourselves is desperately sinful gives us ongoing necessity of understanding Christ as our savior. Yeah. Like th- these things go together. Yes. So we want to affirm. So I want to affirm that I'm a sinner who doesn't have to sin anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that maybe that's right. I'm a say I'm a sinner who has his sins forgiven on one hand and on the other doesn't have to sin anymore. That's right. So someone might ask me then, so Ross, why did you insist that I'll keep sinning? Or no, you had another part of your question. He can go through a whole day without Oh yeah, yeah. What would you like? I, you know, I can I can go through a day, or I can I can say like I haven't. You know, somebody asks you, when was the last time you committed sin? Yeah. You know, if they said I, I can't remember, 
Yeah. What would you say to them? Is that a good thing? Is that a is that a bad thing? Is that pride? Is that naivety? <laughs> like, yeah, I think there's a lot of naivety there. Yeah. Um, maybe pride. I don't know. I'd have to talk to the person. But I think what they mean by that is I didn't commit any gross outward sin. Yeah. That something you could recognize as mm-hmm. sin. Mm-hmm. And I think there are days we can do that. And yeah. we should try to do that and praise yeah. God. It should be the norm, actually. Yeah. I, I would argue it should be the norm for the Christian. Yeah. That, like, point out something that, was, that I did really, like, that was clearly sinful in my life. Nothing did. Praise God. Yeah. That doesn't mean I didn't sin. Yeah. Because in my heart, I was envying. Mm-hmm. And I might have been obeying for wrong motives. And yeah. Yeah. I was battling lustful thoughts. Yeah. And... And I was comparing myself to others. I don't understand how someone could think they really tamed their heart. Yeah. You know. Um, and right. and yeah. So so it, it, this is complicated. Yes. The Christian life is complicated, and um, I do think that there's this category of outwardly I am keeping the commandments of God as I grow, as my heart grows. Mm-hmm. But there's always this sense of my heart has not reached perfection until I reach heaven. Yeah. Yeah. There's this category uh i heard you know theologians talk about sins of commission so sins that you commit like these outward sins and then sins or maybe i guess commission would be also like lust lust of the the heart and things like that so it's it's acts of that you things that you're doing that you know you shouldn't do right. then there's sins of omission things that you omitted to do that you failed to do that are commanded of us and i think when you look at your life and you, you look at all the commands of Scripture and you add yourself up to, to Christ and His glory and what He expects for, for us, it, it becomes so clear that we, not only do we blow it in sins of commission, the things that we commit, like mm-hmm. you just described, even some of those heart sins, Yes. but we, I think I'm most convicted of the sins of omission, <laughs> the things that I fail to do, that my zeal for God is not where it should be, that my love for the lost and my prayer for, for people and my neglect of the word, my neglect of prayer, these, these sort of things, when I realize uh, how, how much I fall short here, it's how could you ever say, I haven't sinned in, in 40 years. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, so I think there may be just some ignorance or naivety or I don't know how I would even frame it, but I, yeah. I definitely, whether they know it or not, I think there's, there's something missing if, if you can't identify any sin in your, in your life. Yes. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. I think there might be a lack of understanding of how fallen our nature is. Yeah. A lack of understanding how sin can just happen in the heart. And mm-hmm. even if it's not expressed with your actions and behavior. Yeah. Um, and probably a smoothing over of the evidence that fits, fit with their theological mm-hmm. categories. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did, I did, maybe you're still listening and maybe you're still listening. <laughs> Hopefully you're still listening. Yeah. Maybe someone has actually made it this far in the podcast. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, and you're wondering if I'm talking out of two sides of my mouth. Hmm. On one hand, you're saying you don't have to sin anymore. And on the other hand, you're saying you will sin. Yeah. Um, which is the tension I was thinking of in the sermon when I brought that up and just said that we don't have time to get into this right now. Mm. Um, maybe no one's mind was going there. Maybe I didn't even have to say that, yeah. but but I did. Um, it's a good question. And I think the answer is is that so our, our fallen sinful nature won't ever be restored until the new mm. creation. Mm-hmm. And so we'll still have it. We have power over it now, but it's still there. Mm. Um one verse that I think applies to the discussion we just had applies to this discussion is First Peter 2.11. Hmm. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. That's good. Yeah. So you're, the passions of your flesh will wage war against your soul. Mm-hmm. But Peter doesn't say. So I fully expect you to fall into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he does say, he says, abstain from it. So there's yeah. this conflict, this battle that's going on. Yeah. And at any particular temptation and battle you face, you have the power to say no. Mm-hmm. You have the power to live righteously. Mm-hmm. But because our nature hasn't been perfected yet, our own weakness will at times in the normal Christian life, just is just what just tends to be true, mm-hmm. will uh, lead us to neglect that power mm-hmm. just turn from Christ and sin yeah. at that moment yeah. um, 
it, it will take our, our nature being fully renewed and restored mm -hmm. until we get to the point where we never sin again. Mm -hmm. um, but but that's a different paradigm than I'm predisposed to sin in this yeah. situation yeah. or I can't help but sin in this situation. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm saying there's never a situation where that's the case. Yeah. You Yes, yes, you will stumble and fall because of the weakness of our flesh. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I want to affirm that there's always power in every situation to say no. And so we should never be uh, fatalistic about our sin. Yeah. We should never use that as an excuse to say, I can give in to it. Like we should have a lot of confidence when we're battling against our sin. That's good. Um, so it's, it's a very nuanced understanding of mm -hmm. all the powers there to say no to sin even though it's very likely from time to time we'll neglect that power. Yeah. And we want to grow in accessing it. We want to grow in just being intimate with God and receiving new desires from him and then putting more sin to death. Yeah, that's good. I, I don't I don't think this is uh, reiterating something you've already said, but I maybe it maybe it is and you can you can uh, <laughs> bypass this question. But how does the the reality of our being um, freed from the penalty of sin inform our fight over sin mm. how, how would you say that affects our fight yeah over uh, sin? to be honest this is something i'm trying to understand and put together in my <laughs> yeah. head yeah i've heard theologians talk about this i'm not sure i fully get it okay it's just compl it's complicated yeah um i've heard piper say that the only sin you can beat is a canceled sin which mm. I think is really sweet. Yeah. Um, so it's already been canceled. So I guess part of that canceling is it doesn't control you anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything to add there? Yeah, well, I, I just think that, I think that on a more simple level, I, I think you're you're probably going a lot deeper <laughs> uh, than I was even imagining right there, but that... Us being freed from the penalty of sin should produce in us a response similar to um, the prodigal son. Mm. <laughs> that we like when we experience the grace that, that the Father pours out on us and giving us the Son and, and washing us of, of our sin and of accepting us as his, as his children. The prodigal son he receives. You know, a father running to him, throwing in his arms around him, putting a robe on him, a ring, a senior yeah. ring, throw it, throwing a party. You know, the older brother doesn't get it. And he's, in fact, mm. uh, if if there was a, a coup in the, uh, or if there was a major, um, let me say, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting uh, ahead of myself, but... If something happened in that family, if there was like major issue in that family, I think that the the younger brother would be the one that stands up for the father. That would, you know, mm. over and above perhaps any of the servants, over and above the older brother who's been there all along, he would be the one to stand by his father's side mm. and and a, you know and, and fight for him, right? Fight fight with him. And I think that this is this is maybe what. Or he goes to the feast and his older brother doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's the one who agree wants what his father wants, loves what his father loves. Mm -hmm. And it's this experience of being forgiven that leads into this new way of living. Yes. That's good. And that's you that's mentioned good. this even in the sermon. You said that you have to get the order right. Mm. <laughs> being set free precedes obedience. Yes. Being set free from your sin, uh, that canceled sin is what allows you to go and 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 do work. But I think what I, what I think is so necessary for us, do we understand how much our sin has, has grieved God, how we deserve wrath. Mm -hmm. Once we, once we understand it and understand that that wrath was, was dumped on Jesus, that he willingly received that for you. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that by faith you get the righteousness that he has and, and he takes on your, your punishment. Mm -hmm. That is a powerful, uh, <laughs> that is a transformative thing for us where we where we look at him and begin to treasure him and we begin to love God because of mm. all the, the grace that he's dumped on us. Mm. So it's... Yes, because yeah, you can't really love God if you think he's going to punish you and destroy you. Yes. But once, he, once you're not being punished and destroyed anymore and yes. you're seeing him as father, now you're going to want to obey him. That's right. Yeah, that's really good. I, th I think... 
the prodigal son story kind of captures the gospel mm-hmm. in this amazing story and, and the we're all the the younger brothers in the story and yet we all most often think that we're the older brother <laughs> just like the Pharisees do in the story and we should yeah. we're supposed to identify with the Pharisees in this story who are uh, ridiculing Jesus for for his care for this for the sinner so I just think that's an important piece the the connecting of the penalty with the power um, and then there's that third word you brought up, the the presence. <laughs> you you mentioned this in the in the benediction, and it's yeah. So it's where you add stuff in that you forget in the sermon. You you throw it in the benediction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we will be, you know, not only is the penalty taken care of, we now have power to overcome sin. And you you said that there's coming a day when that presence of sin is going to be gone. And I really think that's someone what these a big thing these folks in the holiness movement are missing out on yeah. is this is one of the big things we're anticipating mm. is we're not going to sin anymore. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a big hope for, for heaven. And, and they're not, they're not anticipating that. They think they already have yeah. it and yeah. they're missing, missing out on that sense of expectation. Yeah. What a beautiful day that will be when we are no longer, we freely won't sin. Mm. <laughs> like, yes. We won't want sin any longer. We will, uh, be theologians say unable to sin. Hmm. I think that's true. Yes. But I think that it's possible. <laughs> like, I, not that that it's completely impossible for us to sin, but uh, but that we won't because of all that we've we've. We gone won't ever have the desire. To we sin won't again. desire anymore. Yeah. That sin nature will be gone, and we will freely worship God for eternity, and that's so much better than. Uh, sort of a robotic sort of worship and obedience mm. to God, isn't it? That's that's how theologians are able to say the 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 plan of God, this this whole story from creation to fall to redemption, is better than if we had never fallen. Mm. It's it's a shocking thing to say. Yes. But but the outcome of of redeemed people worshiping their Father is it, it's. It's a fuller picture. We get a bigger picture of God. We get a, a bigger picture of the grace and all that we don't deserve. So yes. we will worship more zealously, uh, I think, than than we would have had we never fallen in, and endured sin and mm-hmm. suffering and uh, and Christ's redemption. Amen. Amen. That's a great place to end. Yes, it is. Thanks, because... Ross. This is helpful. We love you, church. God bless you. Yep. See you guys.